0: Hey everybody, good morning. My name's Chad, uh, one of the pastors here at Pleasant Valley. Uh, If you're joining us for the first time, welcome. Uh, We usually meet in person and we're all kind of getting tired of this and I know you are too, but we're trusting the Lord through it. Um, I want to say happy Father's Day to all you dads out there and because I get to. Hi dad, I love you. Uh, You're the greatest father that the Lord could give me. So thankful for you. Uh, I encourage you to call your dads today. Um, also know that sometimes Father's Day brings up some rough memories for people. Uh, know that the Lord is your Father in heaven, and He is perfect and loves you with an everlasting love. Um, I loved seeing that video of our interns and such wonderful faces, and as we've said around here, they really are the lifeblood of what we do, um, and just beautiful people, and serve the Lord so well. So I know we're not in person. Usually we would be able to say hi to them and bye to them. But uh, if you get a chance, find them on Facebook or something like that. Tell them thank you. Uh, A really cool thing. So if you did not notice this past week, we made some slight changes and finally started to get to do something in person. And we're doing that again this week, Thursday night, our midweek outside worship, which was awesome. We had a little over 100 people, I heard really sweet. Uh, there were real people there and we actually got to talk to each other in person, not over Zoom or not through a text message or something. So it was awesome. We're also encouraging you guys to meet in groups in your houses if you invite a few people over to watch the service. And finally we are opening our building up for small groups. Contact the church office or our church info, email pv at if you're interested in doing that. Um, super thankful. Just want to say too, thank you to uh, everyone for the way you Have talked to Jesus during the last three months um, and listen to his voice as it deals with one just staying encouraging in your words, um, believing the best about what the Lord is doing, responding to when God is calling you uh, to maybe lean in to lament. Uh, even in this past few weeks uh, with the social unrest and racism that has just shown us again, something that has not been healed. Um, But also even as you have given of your time and your prayers and your resources, we can't do what we do here without you guys. And so we're so thankful um, to say that the Lord is providing and he's doing that through you. And so thank you. Uh, I want to just pray real quick. I encourage you wherever you are, just uh, close your eyes, open your hands. I know we're kind of used to praying with our eyes open and maybe looking around being distracted, but if you, if you feel comfortable, let's just do that real quick. We're going to ask the Lord to meet us this morning in his word. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that our hope and our future is in you, Jesus. And God, I ask this morning that your word uh, would become new to us. Lord, that as we read these words, as we think about them, as we maybe talk about them at lunch around the table with our friends, that they would seem as if the ink is still wet, that it has been written for us today. God, we love you. We thank you that you are our living hope, Lord, that there is a standard of holiness and it's you. God, that you were the king, you're on the throne. We've sung about these things this morning, Lord. You are sovereign, our ruler. Lord, you've conquered sin and death, Lord. You've punched death in the mouth. And God, we await your return. In the meantime, though, Lord, we sure could use some encouragement today from your word, from your spirit, present in our hearts and present in the body of Christ scattered. Uh, we give you this short amount of time here just to spend with you and ask that you would speak. In Christ's name, amen. So we're in a series called A Hope and a Future, um, and we want to know what's going to happen. I think that's really is one of the the driving forces behind me just stepping into it and saying, hey, let's, let's talk about the kingdom of God. Let's talk about the future. Let's talk about what it'll be like when we get out of this whole thing. Um, at that moment, it was just COVID-19. And we hadn't seen any of the recent unrest that has really spread worldwide and has really been more like a wound that's just been opened again. It's not new. It's very old. Um, And so we're asking questions. How is this all going to turn out? Um, The reality is this goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. It's the same kind of divisiveness And discrimination that was happening between brothers, Cain and Abel, which caused one to rise up and kill the other one. Jealousy, discrimination, whatever, all those sins were present all the way back then. And guess what? They've been plaguing our hearts ever since. And so we rightfully ask, what's going to happen? How is this going to turn out? What are the answers for today? What about tomorrow? Do we have a source of hope? Do we have a place of strength, a certainty for the future that we're going to need to live through this? Who has that information? And once we get it, will we believe it? That's really struck me a lot, especially about this information. I've found myself and I've found others almost questioning it. Like I was like, oh yeah, fine. Yeah, God's truth and God's help, that's great. But we need real solutions to problems. I love to read and watch movies. Uh, The reading part came later in life. Um, I think my mom probably thought I wasn't gonna read a book, Um, but it came and and I love it now. And I'm really into uh, just a good thriller or a good whodunit mystery. Um, There's a common theme that runs through all of these stories. And it keeps us turning the pages. And it's this. There's always some piece of information missing. And... This week, I'm reading, uh, listening to an audible, an old one, which I didn't even realize. I like Michael Crichton as an author. I know he passed some years ago, um, wrote Jurassic Park and some of those other great books. But one of his books was, I think, written in 1971. It's called The Andromeda Strain. I didn't even realize that's when it was written. And so I started listening to it. It holds up pretty well, uh, considering that things have changed a lot for fiction writers over these years. Um, But I was born in 1972. So I think it was written before I was born. But I'm listening to it this week, and sure enough, there's some guy, one of our main characters, and he is trying to figure something out. And somebody gives him a top secret classified file. He opens it up. He starts reading through some things. And he gets to this page, and all that's there is the title And the rest says redacted, which is just a fancy word for saying edited or cut out. It's missing. And of course, you're thinking as a reader, what did it say? And he's thinking as one of the main characters, what did this say? Trying to figure out who did what. And it causes us to, if we're watching a movie or reading a book, to go pop some popcorn, press pause, hold on, wait till I get back because I want to see what's going to happen. We do the same thing in stories too. When we know something that the main character doesn't know. And let's say it's somebody in the classic is going into this dark room. And what are we saying to them? Don't do it. Don't go in. He's bad. Don't you know? Oh, we get up. We're so frustrated. Those things are great for stories. They're great for fiction. They're great for movies. They make us excited to read these things. We recommend them to other people. These plot devices and narrative tools make for great stories and page turners. But they're not so fun in real life, are they? When we don't have that information, when we don't have the secret file and the page that's supposed to tell us what to do about this big problem and what's going to happen with our future, we feel anxiety. Or when we say, I just really want to know what's true. And we get three different versions of what's true. And behind those three different versions are people who are extremely motivated. And they'll tell you, your life will depend on you believing this version of the truth. And you better vote in November with this in mind. We've been there. We feel that. We're looking at everything that's happening out there. We're feeling a disconnect from this. And how does it all connect? And what information do I need? And what source of hope can I find? What's crazy is these these questions aren't new. <clears throat> They've been around since the beginning. People keep asking, what's the most important thing? What is the truth that we need for this time? As I look at the mess of our world right now, the brokenness, what do I know to be true? What can I bring to the table this morning for you to encourage you once again in the truth that's found in God's word And in the one who is the living word himself, Jesus, if you were to ask him, Jesus, what is it? What is the answer? What is the answer to our current problems? What is the answer to humanity? What will solve this mess? His answer wouldn't be hidden. He wouldn't say, uh, I'm not going to show you that files redacted. I'm so sorry. Keep turning the page. We'll see what happens. No. No. What we have in God's word is it's clear, it's plain. He's given it to us, but we don't really like the answer because here's what he would say. You want to know what the answer to all of this is? COVID, racism, you name it, wars, rumors of wars. You want to know what the answer is? Love me and love others. And we want to say, yeah, okay, okay. That's nice. That's nice, Lord. But he doesn't give it as an answer among many answers or options. He says, no, this is the answer. In fact, a lawyer came up to Jesus one day, and this guy was kind of snarky, even in the way he asked the question. And he said, all right, what is the greatest commandment? Kind of another way of saying, yeah, what answers do you have, Rabbi? And Jesus said this, love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is lo- like it you shall love your neighbor as yourself. To which we'd be like, yeah, yeah, love God, love others. We've heard it. But then he said something really interesting. He said, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets, meaning the whole Bible hangs on loving God and loving others. It's connected to, it's dependent upon it. This is what you're giving us, Jesus? <clears throat> Excuse me, love? Love? That's what we, we should do? Love is the answer to the hatred, the divisiveness, the sin, the lawlessness, the brokenness, yes. But what kind of love? What kind of love? Is it the Beatles kind of love? All you need is love. Which was a protest in itself, if you look at the history of that song when they did it in 1967, is Flower Power, It's Against the Vietnam War, it's all kinds of things, and they come together for this <clears throat> our world event and they sing this song. All you need is love. All you need is love. Is that what he means? Is it that kind of sentimentality which gets you in a field for a concert over several days and what you end up with is a mud hole and a bunch of trash. Is that the love Jesus is talking about? His definition of love is a little different than ours. We're gonna see that today, but we're gonna come to what is called the love chapter in the Bible. 1 Corinthians 13 is the love chapter. This one more than anything is read at weddings and people would say, oh yeah, that's the wedding chapter. Far from it. That's not that it can't be there, but it's far from it. And I want to just dig in a little bit this morning, some of the stuff that the Lord's been teaching me. And as I've told you this, and hopefully you know this about me by now, I will never take you somewhere in here that I'm not going with you. That's the only way I know how to lead is I want to get in it. I want to get on my knees. I want to humble myself before God's word. And I want to ask him because guess who the first person who would say, yeah, love God, love others. That's going to help me. I mean, I would agree with it. I know it's true. I know it's right. But over the years, like if I hear the love God and love others, especially the second part, I might be way into loving God. But when it comes to loving others, especially my enemies, are you kidding me? And so I'm going there. I'm asking you to come with me. And I've been digging into this and we're going to look at it. And before you get into 1 Corinthians 13, There's a little half of a verse in 1 Corinthians 12, 31. Paul's been talking about all this other crazy stuff, amazing things happening in the church, gifts, healing, tongues, prophecy, all this amazing stuff. And then he says this, but I will show you a still more excellent way. The way of love. So let's read the first three verses. They'll be on the screen. You can close your eyes and listen to, just don't sleep. 1 Corinthians 13, here we go. If I speak... In the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Those are great visuals, aren't they? Noisy gong, clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. I give away all I have, all my money, all my stuff. I even deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love. I gain nothing. There's a lot to be anxious about right now, isn't there? Yeah. There's a lot of stuff out there. I know and believe that the bad news is not the only thing going on, but sometimes the stories that have the microphone or the news Uh, The hashtags are the ones that play the loudest in our heads and our hearts. There are many, many voices out there. Just think about the last three months. That's all it took, three months to turn the world upside down. And there are thousands of voices saying a thousand different things, some of them good and necessary, some of them bad and hurtful, some of them just downright crazy. Some of the things that are being said, lots of finger pointing, lots of solutions. Most thinking it can all be fixed in November, especially if we live here in the United States, as soon as they get their guy in place or keep their guy and whatever it is, we'll fix it. We just need to vote. There's a lot of my side going on as Christians. We have to guard against my side There's one side and it's pierced. That's the one we must stand next to. I feel that tension. I feel that pull every day. So what is Jesus trying to say here through Paul? Because that's how it works. God's word written and inspired by the Holy Spirit. But human authors that wrote these things down, God speaking through them. What's he trying to say to this church in Corinth? What's the core truth? What's the file opened, completely declassified, revealed? It's this. Everything done without love is nothing. I love this picture of this old church. And I wonder what kind of worship happened in there? What kind of truths were spoken? What kind of hearts were moved? Look at it now. Just serves as a great place for Instagram selfies. Look at this cool old church I'm in. Taking a picture. Everything done without love is nothing for whatever reason that church didn't survive. Maybe some of the people moved on, but ultimately that place of worship, what people saw as we're going to go there. We're going to do great things and look at it. They had some serious money put into those windows and those columns. It's beautiful, but everything done without love is nothing. It's quite the astonishing truth, isn't it? In fact, it's a bit offensive for honest. There's a lot of good things going on out there at there, Lord right? Everything done without love. I mean, I know people that do some things and they still don't like the people on the other side or whatever, but they're still doing good things. And isn't that okay? Isn't that good? What's interesting is Paul's talking primarily to a church here who had some pretty gifted people. They had people who could pray, speak prophetically, discern the times, give words from the Lord, speak in heavenly languages, Praying in tongues, the ability to understand mysteries, which what that means is not just like any mystery. It's mysteries of God, of how he works in the world, of understanding what has been happening in the Bible from here until now. This is God, the ability to move mountains. No, not a real mountain where you could go outside and say, move. But what he's trying to say is things that are impossible. Things that we would say that's so difficult. People even offering their own lives for those causes we would say, wow, that's pretty cool. So let's think about our own situation. Do we need these kinds of gifts at work in the world right now? How about the impossible task of solving COVID-19, this pandemic? Do we need wisdom? Do we need people, maybe with prophetic words to say it's gonna be okay? Do we need some people to maybe move some mountains with their prayers? Uh, Yeah, quite the mountain, isn't it? It'd be great if that one were moved. How about the sin and evil of racism? Do we need some wisdom? Can we solve that? Do we need somebody with real understanding and wisdom, compassion, humility, able to solve that mystery and to be sure there are good voices and people saying important things and doing important and critical work? What about if it were somebody in the church who had these gifts to address these situations? We'd look at that person and say, wow, that girl, that guy can really pray. When they speak, there's such wisdom. They understand God's work in the world. Man, they, they really can unravel the mystery of who he is. They've been a part of difficult, complex projects, relationships. I've seen them work through some really impossible mountains in their life. They did it, man. They had faith. Wow. They've even offered themselves, their reputations, their jobs, their very lives for a very noble cause. Now, surely God has to look at that person and say, now that is my person. Well done. It's not what it says, is it? It's not what he says. If I do all those things, but I don't have love, not just any love, the love of God found in relationship with Jesus Christ built upon the relationship that the Trinity has enjoyed since eternity and is perfectly defined in the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. If I don't have that, I can do all this other stuff. And what God's word tells me is it's nothing. It's nothing. Be the greatest philanthropist. Fight the most just causes. Give all your money away. Protest peacefully for things that should be protested against. Be a part of government and policy reform. Write the greatest books. Share your understanding of God's way of working in history. You name it. But if you don't have the love of God to stand on, fueling your motivation as your only hope and cause, your only hope and cause, Paul says, thus the Holy Spirit says, thus God says, you have nothing. Now, don't misunderstand me. Don't hear me say that the love of God won't be about solving those things. It will. And Christians should be the ones leading the way. There's a reason we have Harriet Tubman and Corey ten Boom and Dietrich Bonhoeffer and William Wilberforce. Hmm. What did they all have in common? Followers of Jesus. And what did they all do? put their lives on the line to solve issues of genocide and racism and injustice. So that precedence is there. Christians should lead the way. But what the word tells us is if it's not founded on the love of God as defined in Jesus Christ, it's still nothing. Another passage Maybe you're familiar with when Jesus says, I'll judge the the end of the world and I'll separate the nations, sheep and goats. And people will be coming forward and saying, wait, 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 wait. Lord, didn't you see me? I was all about justice. I was doing all those good things for you. I was in church. I was singing. I did all kinds of great stuff. And this really amazing comment where God says, I don't know you. That's a little frightening to me that you can be about those things and still not have the love of God as the foundation. Now, you could do those things and they could cause some really good. It might be a band aid for some time. Some good will happen. It might offer some level of peace, but it will fail without the love of God. That's what he's saying. It'll fail ultimately. If I have not love, I gain nothing. Everything done without love is nothing. Are you encouraged yet? (laughs) I'm not. It's hard, isn't it? It's hard to hear it. So let's dig the hole a little deeper because that's what the Holy Spirit does sometimes. He digs around and he gets in our stuff and into our sin and into those deep places we don't want to talk about. And he says, no, we're going to go deeper. We're going to go deeper. I'm not going to let that sin be left unchecked. I'm going deeper. I'm going deeper. And he does that before he fills it up with him. With his truth. So let's ask a question. Let's help dig. What do you mean by love, God? Tell me more about that. Verse four. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. You got to get this out of your wedding mind for a minute, okay? That's usually where we hear it. Get it out of the wedding genre for a minute and put it on the street. Put it out there in the protests right now does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. Does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. Oops, I'm gone on that one right there. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, great that they are, they're going to pass away. It's for tongues, ability to pray, pray in heavenly languages. It's not gonna stay here forever. It's for knowledge, it will pass away. Love stays though. It's an impossible list. It's impossible list to apply to our world right now, isn't it? Show me one news story, one tweet, one Instagram post or Facebook post, one TikTok video that has these ingredients and characteristics, and I mean all of them. Perfectly motivated, no ulterior motive, pure intent. I've never posted one. It's impossible to lay that on our world. Let's go further though. Our very society, the laws that we have written are there to remind us of the fact that we don't do this. They're written down and enforced because we don't live this way. Ravi Zacharias, who recently graduated to heaven, said this. The reason we have 17,000 pages in our law books, 17,000 pages is because we cannot follow 10 lines on a tablet of stone. 10 commandments. The reason we have 17,000 pages is because we can't follow 10. It's impossible. Are those 17,000 pages of laws and the interpretations of those laws and the enforcement of those laws working sometimes, but perfectly? No. Our best scholarly works, our most creative films and works of art, our most profound stories and works of higher education, can any of them truly stand up to verses four through eight in 1 Corinthians 13? No. (laughs) And yet we are called even commanded to pursue this kind of love. God says, it's the greatest thing you can do. The greatest commandment. And it can't just stop with you and him. It has to go to your neighbor. There's another parable that Jesus, somebody said, well, who's my neighbor? Almost like wanting them to say, well, it's your best friend and only the person you like to be around. It's not what he said. He said, oh no, it's the other race down the road that you hate. Jesus was pretty blunt, wasn't he? There's a common trap out there in Christianity. I've fallen for it. That would like to take a shortcut on this. We would rather the Lord give us the ability to perform signs and wonders that we could stand out on the street and hold up our hands and perform miracles in Jesus name. Because then people would really listen to us then it wouldn't be so hard. The church in Corinth had experienced some of this good. They've been using their gifts, prophecy, tongues, praying, moving mountains. We know that that was healings because in chapter 12, it tells us it was. Paul's even saying, hey, this is great. Great that you're pursuing these things. But Paul doesn't put this list here to say, hey, don't forget to sprinkle in a little love. He puts it here because they're not doing it with the love of God. He writes this list because they'd forgotten something that is foundational to the Bible. And it's this, love is more miraculous than miracles. Love is more miraculous than miracles. I stole that line from Tin Keller. You know, we might be more inclined to think if I could walk outside and call down thunder and fire from heaven, Reach out my hands, see people healed in the name of Jesus, speak to an angry mob, quiet them with a prophetic word and they all bow the knee to Jesus and all pray and all put our arms together and sing Kumbaya. That would be a miracle. That's what we need. Or maybe you're a little more practical, not so churchy. And you might say, you know, you know what we need? Perfect policy in place, right reform, the right leaders, all good things. All good things to be pursued. Please don't misunderstand me or misquote me. It happens. Don't do it. I'm saying those are important things. But, and we could say that that would be miraculous. Think about it. If you actually had a policy or a leader in place that didn't have half the country hating the other half, that would be a miracle, wouldn't it? But love is more miraculous than miracles. What do I mean? Jesus says, this is the more excellent way. Is there anything more miraculous than a heart that is changed? The heart that was dark, bent to sin, all of a sudden gets turned upside down and starts loving God and others. John Newton, slave captain, Ran slave ships, was in a storm, prayed for mercy. God saved him and he became an abolitionist. And he wrote amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I didn't know if you knew that when you sing that song, you're actually singing the song of a former slave trader. Should we throw out that song? No, because that's a miracle. That's the beauty of God's gospel and what happens in Jesus. He changes our hearts. Sing that song with gusto because you know that's a miracle for God to change a heart. Even if you could raise a body from the dead, it still would not be as great as God eternally raising a life to Christ. It wouldn't be as great. And don't get lost in this list to think it's just platitudes or spiritual language. We'll never get there. It's really practical, isn't it? It's really practical. Gospel changes a heart for eternity and then miraculous things start to happen in the way we interact with people and even how we love our neighbor, dare we say, our enemies. Let's get practical. Imagine this list being used with all things COVID-19 and everything that is happening with the sin of racism calling us to be patient, kind, not to boast about our own stuff, or our own opinions. Man, that would get rid of like 95% of our posts online, wouldn't it? To do away with pride and rudeness, to not insist on our own way that we won't get irritable. Eh, I'm out on that one that isn't resentful when someone else gets what they want, that doesn't rejoice when I see wrongdoing. If you've watched the destruction and violence, the wrongdoing and have quietly rejoiced because you think it might make your side look good. Oops, we fail there too. That one hits home. But instead you rejoice when truth is spoken, even if it's from somebody that's not a part of your tribe and your side And you say, that is a good point. That is a good point. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. A love that never fails. So I put this list up to my life and I imagine myself standing in front of Jesus one day. Chad Ellenberg stepped forward. Let's see how you did. I'm standing before the judge himself who will judge all mankind. The king of kings, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And as he starts going down with love is patient, stop, <laughs> stop, uh, Lord, you don't even have to keep going, because I already failed. I already failed right there. We struggle just with the idea of this list. Don't put that on me. I don't want to get my hands dirty. I know Jesus. I'm going to bide my time here in my church. Pray that I don't have to interact with difficult things. But see, love gets down in the mess with people. Love gets down in the dirt. Our own free church this past week and the last two weeks, our denomination has been calling us to lament over the sin of racism. To weep with those who weep. Do we say, you just don't get it? Or do we listen? (laughs) Do we listen to wisdom? My wife shared with me a, a really fascinating TED talk. This guy named Johan Hari is an author who spent a lot of time studying addiction. And he said, and he just, it's challenging to rethink how we see addiction. And we all think that addiction and drug use and that kind of stuff is something that needs to be punished and enforced. And so he started to do something different and as he studied it, he realized that the number one factor that was involved. Yes, there are chemical things going on. Yes, there are medical things going on in the body. He said, but everybody who got hip surgery would be addicted to heroin if that was the case. Because everybody that goes and gets those things gets basically the legalized form in the hospital. And we don't come out as addicts. What did he say though? What was the number one factor contributing to people that kept giving in to addiction? Isolation loneliness. I want to not see this loneliness. And so he started taking a different approach with his friend who was addicted. And he said, instead of me judging him, instead of me just saying, oh, I got to stay away from that guy. He's dangerous. He said, I started just saying, hey, I love you. I'm here for you. And I want you to call me. I want to be there for you when you feel these things. Now, he's not naive enough to say this is the only answer, but as they've seen this done in one particular place, it was in Portugal, um, where they started to do these things. Tremendous change. What is that? That's love. It's not the full form of love in Christ that we understand, but it's, it's definitely something that happens because of the goodness of God and the love of God. Pastor Sammy and I called our district superintendent, Brian Farone, wonderful man of God uh, and the free church serves our church and many others. And we asked him right in the middle of this whole thing uh, with George Floyd, what do we do? (laughs) What do we do as a church? Help us. And one of the things he said, and we asked him, what would love look like during this time? And he said, honestly, he said, I think you need to come alongside people almost like it's a funeral as a pastor as a brother in Christ, don't correct every wrong thing you hear. Come up next to them and say, I'm Chad. I'm a brother in Christ. I'm so sorry this is happening. I see that this is hurting you tremendously. I just wanted you to know I'm here. Now in me, I'm like, yeah, but they're saying this and this is wrong. And this is wrong. He goes, it's not the time. It's not the time. Love gets in there. Love bears all things, hopes all things. Paul's describing biblical love here, different from worldly love, which is a feeling or something you fall into. Biblical love is an action. It's an unconditional commitment, a promise that's never broken. So are you encouraged yet? (laughs) Are you still feeling it? I know I'm still feeling it. It wasn't a wedding that Paul wrote this to. It was to people who actually weren't doing a good job and saying, hey, what are you going to do? So if this is left to us, We're toast. I heard somebody say this, and you may have heard this before, and it's a good start before we read the last few verses. And it's to read those verses again, replacing the word love with Jesus. I just want to do it. I want to read it for you, I want to read it over you. Listen to this Jesus is patient and kind. Jesus doesn't envy or boast. He's not arrogant or rude. He did not insist on his own way, but joyfully submitted to the Father. Jesus is not irritable, resentful. He does not rejoice at wrongdoing. He rejoices with the truth. Jesus bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. He endures all things for your sake. Jesus never ends. Prophecies, tongues, yeah, they'll go away, but Jesus will never fail. I just want to finish here with the last few verses And one more thought, verse nine, we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, and you could put in parentheses right there, Jesus, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest, echoing Jesus' answer to that lawyer, the greatest of these is love. We see in pieces right now, partial, not quite whole. We act in pieces. Our efforts are at best pieces. How can we experience true transformation? Paul says the answer is when the perfect comes. So it's a now, but not yet. Jesus came. He started the ball rolling in his kingdom. He will come back. Our only answer is found in a face-to-face encounter where we move from pieces to the prince of peace. That first coming is our key. The baby in the manger was to show us he's gonna do this for us. He's gonna accomplish. He's gonna bring those pieces together. So I just, I, one example I saw this past week and just as a practical thing. And I listen to the Lord this way. Sometimes I'm studying and I kind of get lost and I hear him speaking. There's a guy named Leonardo Torres. He's a musician in California. He is a non-believer. He says that I do not know Jesus. I do not follow Christianity, but he was intrigued by worship music. And so I got this picture of him listening to Reckless Love. And he even said this. He goes, here is my first time to listen to the song Reckless Love. And I've never heard it before. I am not a Christian. I just want to listen for music's sake and for the content of the words. And here's what he said. And you could see him. You can just look it up on YouTube if you want to watch him. Tears starting to well up in his eyes. And some of those lyrics... There's no shadow you won't light up, no mountain you won't climb to come after me. There's no wall you won't kick down. There's no lie you won't tear down coming after me. So he started speaking about that line. He said, hmm, mountains, walls, lies. He goes, it's almost like the way the drums and the music is going. It's almost like it's like a soundtrack to those things happening. In that moment of the song, Corey Asbury, the worship leader, just started speaking kind of a prophetic word over uh, the worshipers there. And it really reached, I think, Leonardo's heart. And he said this, Jesus is speaking against self-hatred tonight. And I watched this guy, Leonardo, just like kind of grab his eyes and wipe the tears away. And he's like, ah, I wasn't going to do this. So at the end, he said, you guys, your songs are beautiful. Teachings, they're beautiful really amazing because I have one question though talks about this reckless love of God that it can't be stopped he comes after us he goes why can't we do that why can't we do that my answer to Leonardo and I love it because there's a pastor who reached out to him and they're now talking online you can watch that conversation it's a pastor named Chad so of course I was like Cause he spoke and he goes, yeah, I called pastor Chad. And I was like, oh. <laughs> it's like the Lord was just speaking to my heart. You can watch that on YouTube as well. But here's my answer to Leonardo to love like this. We must have the source of love in our hearts. Jesus Christ, the righteous, the one and only. And if you've listened to me for one week, one year, two years, if you're still here in 10 years, there's probably going to be a point where you're going to say, boy, that guy is one song, one note, one tune. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. You better believe it. That's all I got. That's all I got. Jesus Christ, the righteous. Love is a person. Love is understood solely in that person. 1 John three sixteen. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And not to leave it there, he says, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Let's pray. Lord, uh, sorry, I got a little long-winded there, but you got me fired up. And I'm just so thankful for your word. I'm thankful to be challenged in my own heart. I'm thankful for how you are pushing against, you're digging deep. Lord, you're going after places in my own heart to say, let's work on that. And God uh, just was struck last night uh, reading an article. Um, We forget that this earth, um, yes, if we died today and we know Jesus, we'd go to heaven, but it's not the final destination. In the end, you bring heaven down to earth. You restore this place. And so any efforts made now to make it your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, they're gonna stay. Lord, we love you. We ask you to challenge us. God, would you minister to us as we uh, sing another couple of songs here? We bless you, Jesus. Thank you for this time together. Amen.